0: Let me catch you up in case you weren't here last week. Um, Our culture has determined for us a new normal. You know, and I know that times are different from when we were young. You know that times have changed as the generations have progressed. Um, And so there's become new norms for each generation. And the normal for today is not a normal that leads to a life-giving scenario. So we uh, see people full of... Uh, a pursuit towards a life that doesn't stand out, that leads us living a life that's that brings no fulfillment and leaves us empty and longing for more. And um, our goal through this series is that we would rebel against normal, that we wouldn't be normal people, that we wouldn't be a normal church pursuing normal desires, but we would be a people who were different, and we would stand for God's truth in the midst of a chaotic world because we know uh, that different is better uh, than normal. Now, let me give you uh, a scripture to catch us up. And then we're going to jump into our topic today. Uh, I've got a lot to cover, and so I want to jump into it. We looked last week at Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, and this is going to kind of be the premise of this entire series. And this is what Matthew says. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. Most people are heading down a path that's leading to destruction. That's normal. Most people are heading down the path. That's the wide gate. That's the gate that most people walk through. So if you're following the crowd, if you're trying to fit in, the place that you're headed in this life is towards destruction. He goes on to say, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And I want you, and I want for myself, and I want for our church to be people who walk through the small gate, the narrow gate, uh, that we find things in life that few find because we're far from normal and our lives don't lead to destruction. So that's the goal, that's the aim of this series. And last week we talked about rebelling against normal uh, and fighting against normal. And today I want to go ahead and jump into our topic because today we're going to be talking about time and how we use our time and how we spend our time Uh, how we manage our time, how we steward our time. Uh, and, And you know, I don't have to tell you, that normal for us to have a relationship with time in today's world is just busy that we just have a lot going on. Can you, Can we just agree to that? Does anybody just feel busy in life, that, that there's just so much to do in life that we never have enough time to do it, and we just wish that there was another hour in every day and another day in every week and another week in every year so that we could do more things that we want to accomplish. Uh, but the truth is, if we had more time, we would have more of the same because we don't have a problem with time and length of time in our life, we have a problem with how we manage our time and prioritize our time. And so here's what I'm going to attempt to do today. And I hope that this is helpful is I'm going to give you 10 questions to ask. I know that this is ironic when I'm preaching a sermon on time to have a 10 point sermon. Uh, So pray for me that I won't keep you here till one o'clock, but I want to give you 10 questions that you can ask. And if the answer to this question leaves you in the state of normal, then I just want to ask you to consider just consider if perhaps God would be speaking to your heart to change some things about the way you use your time, and about the way you spend your time and manage your time. Uh, so, so that's our goal today. We're going to ask some questions. And um, if you have something to write on, I encourage you to write these questions down. If you have a smartphone that lets you take notes, I encourage you to pull it out. Um, if you text your neighbor, I'm not going to know, so don't feel like you're going to get in trouble. Um, if you answer these questions... By saying, "No," if the answer to these questions is no," then chances are you're heading down a pretty normal path. And so I want for you and I want for me to be able to answer yes to these 10 questions, and if we do, if we do, then I just believe that we're going to live lives that are life-giving. That are fulfilling, that are satisfying, uh, that are rooted in God's truth and His best for our life that makes us different from the average person. So here's question one. If you're writing it down, I encourage you to. Do I have enough time? Do I have enough time? If you can answer that question by saying no, then chances are you're living a pretty normal life. But if you can answer that question by saying yes, it's a truth that's found in God's word. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, this is a promise that we have that Peter left us with. He says, His divine power has us, given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. He's given us everything we need. That includes time. He's given us all the time that we will ever need to do anything that He's called us to do. And so if you feel as though you don't have enough time, then chances are you're not seeing in the time that you have the potential to do everything that God has called you to do. Here's the truth for you and the truth for me. Is there 24 hours in your day just like mine? There's 1,440 minutes in your day just like mine. There's 86,400 seconds in your day just like mine. We all have the same allotment of time. You can't get more and none will be taken from you. Until the day that you stop breathing here on planet earth, you're going to have the exact same amount of time each day. And how you prioritize that time is up to you. And I like to say that we should think of our time like we think of uh, an account for money, a checking account. That there are deposits that are put into account that have to be spent. And the thing that's different about money from time is that we don't have to do anything to earn the time that's put into our accounts. Every day we wake up and we've got 86,400 seconds in our account. And every day we're going to spend everything in that account, but we get to choose how we spend it. We get to choose how we spend that time. And so here are the priorities that I believe God calls us to, is that our first priority when it comes to time would be for God. Our second priority when it comes to to time would be for our spouse. If you're married, your spouse is priority number two which is above priority number 3 if you have kids, your kids. So often we get these so out of order. Number 4 priority for all of us in life, if we want to live different lives that are not normal that lead to a path of life, it should be priority number 4 should be our church. That our church life should be a priority and then 5 on down the list is our job and every other thing that we choose to spend our time on. And if we're honest with ourselves, can we just agree that it's easy to get our priorities of order, that we spend way more time sometimes on social media and television than we do our own kids, than we do our own relationships with our spouse that we've committed our lives to, than the God of the universe who loved us enough to send his son to die for us, it's easy for us to waste time, to spend time on things that aren't productive. Do you have enough time? Yes. You have enough time. You may not spend your time wisely, so you may leave yourself feeling like you don't have enough time, but the truth is if you had more time, if it were 25-8 instead of 24-7, it would be more the same, and you would still feel like you don't have enough time. So, so rebel. Be a time rebel. Don't live a normal life. Prioritize your time and use it wisely. Question number two. Do I prohibit good things from overwhelming the most important things? Or if you want to say the God things. Do I prohibit good things from overwhelming the most important things? Uh, I want to read a passage. and I'm not going to read scripture with all these questions. But I want to read a passage uh, from Luke chapter number 10, verses 38 through 42. That I think illustrates to us that sometimes we can spend time on something that's good. But it's not something that's most important. Verse 38 of Luke 10 says, And as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And listen to Jesus' response. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Can you imagine Jesus coming to your house, like in the flesh, and how anxious you would be to present everything perfect for him, that you would be busy with preparations. That you would want the food preparations to be perfect. That you would want the decorations to be perfect. That you would want the environment to be perfect. That you would want to meet his needs and serve him the best you can. And Martha, in attempt to do just that, spent all of her time on preparations. And she was busy. She was doing a lot of things, and they were good things. They were good things. She was doing it for Jesus. But Mary... Unlike Martha, given the same experience, the same presence of Christ, chose not to be busy, but to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says that that was the more important thing, and it wouldn't be taken from her. It's easy for us to get so involved in good things in life that we forget the most important things. And if you're like me, you feel like doing good things for other people is worthy of your time. And it is, unless it distracts you from the most important things. And so sometimes it's necessary for us to say no to some good things so that we can say yes to the best things, to the most important things. And so if you want to be normal and live a life that leads to destruction, that leaves you weary and tired and wore out and stressed, then just stay busy. And it can be busy with good things, it doesn't matter. But just stay busy, and you'll find yourself exhausted and longing for something to to give you a break, to give you refreshing. But if you want to live a life that few people live, then figure out what's most important. And ultimately, that's sitting at the feet of Jesus and allowing Him to meet needs for us that we'll never Meet for ourselves. Question number three: Do I keep busyness from becoming my business? Do I keep busyness from becoming my business? In other words, am I constantly busy just for busy sake? Am I the type of person that just has to be doing something? I know that we're all wired differently, and some of it's personality-driven. Some people like to be alone. Some people like to be in quiet places, and other people are more outgoing. They like to be around people and doing things. But does your calendar always have to be full? Like when you look at your calendar and you say, I've got a free day here. I've got to call somebody. I've got to do something. I've got to schedule something. I've got to figure something out. I've got to put something in that time slot because I can't be unproductive. So you know people who are lazy. You've seen people live lazy lives and you've committed to yourself that I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to be productive and I'm going to make the most I can out of my time. And in an effort to do that, normal people have stayed so busy that life flies by and they never enjoy a single moment that they're in. Is your business in life just being busy? If you'd say yes to that, chances are you're living a pretty normal life. I get it, I get it. You've got a job. You've got hours that you have to work. And then there's the kids and there's the home life that you've got to take care of things. There's meals to be prepared. Uh, there's, there's baths to be given. And in addition to that, as your kids get older, there's extracurricular activities and there's events and there's ball games, and there's dances and recitals. I get it. I understand it. But if we're not careful, that busyness becomes our business in life. And I'm just telling you, it never leads to a good place. But that's what normal people do. Normal people aren't home together in a family setting. Normal people don't experience life in its richest, fullest moments. They're constantly going from one place to the next. And I want to encourage you just to slow down. Just to make the most of your time. Because your time's ticking. When it's gone, it's gone. And you'll look back over your life and you'll say, I wish I would have spent my time differently I was so focused on things that aren't important and now my life's passed me by and all I've got left is regrets. Don't allow busyness to become your business. Next question. Do I choose or over and? Do I choose or over and? Here's my encouragement for you. Learn to say no. You've got to. You've got to learn to say no. No. Learn to say no because if you don't learn to to choose or over and and you keep adding ands and and this and and that and I can do this on top of that and sure I'll try to fit that in and we'll add that as well and in addition to and we keep adding to and there's never any subtracting that we're going to end up with more than we can handle which is going to lead to stress and fatigue and weariness and you're going to be doing so much with such great intentions that you're not going to find anything to be life giving and you're not going to be productive in the things that you're doing. You've got to learn to choose or instead of and. Are we going to play on two teams or just one team? Am I going to work this extra job or am I going to spend more time with my family? Are we going to take that vacation that might cost us more money than we're willing to spend or are we going to choose to save this year? You can't do everything you got to stop living life with ands because normal people live lives with ands and they're so overwhelmed. Maybe you feel that way. And I encourage you to learn to say no. It's life-giving when you can learn to say no. And and listen, when you say no, you'll disappoint people. You'll hurt people. But the most important thing that you can protect in this life is not someone else's feelings, but it's your time. Because you only get to live one life. And when you learn to live... An or life instead of an and life, you'll find this fulfillingness, that, this fulfillment that comes over you that leaves you satisfied and whole and not stretched so thin that you can't handle things. Next question Do I have a to don't list? If you've got a wife, chances are you've got a to do list. But do we have a to don't list? Like, Have we determined in our life, these are things that I'm not going to do. I am not going to spend my time doing these things. Because if you don't have a to don't list, then life will creep up on you and you'll find yourself doing things that you don't even want to do. And you wonder, you ask yourself, like, how did I end up doing this? How did I let somebody talk me into doing this? How did I get so caught up in this moment that I found myself here in this moment? Do you have a To don't list? Have you decided, for me, I will never do certain things? It could be job-related. It could be family-related. It could be related to your friends. A to-don't list. I was a student pastor for eight years, and a lot of the students that I once pastored are now married. And I find something interesting in their generation who grew up playing video games and were good at video games and now video games are online and they get to play with people and against people that aren't even in the same rooms with them. they love these video games and these guys get married and they play these video games and they forget that they're married sometimes. And they're like, why are we fighting so much? And it's because they haven't made it to don't list. I'm not saying you can't ever play a video game if you're, above 18 years of age, but I'm saying that as an illustration, there are some things that you used to do that you need to say, I'm not going to do these things anymore. There's some, there's some people that you used to hang out with all the time and now that things have changed and are different in your life or you're starting a new season or you're realizing, man, I'm more normal than I want to be, then you've got to say, I'm going to stop doing these things. That's going to be on my to-don't list. And as much as I loved doing it, as much fun as I had, in those moments of my life, I'm just, I'm just not going to do them anymore. And you'll find a freedom in knowing that if it ever comes up as an opportunity, it's on a to-don't list. And you're like, no, I don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to do it. And it's not going to invade your time. Normal people do not have a to-don't list. But if you want to be part of the few, and you want to go through that narrow gate, and you want to find life, you've got to have a to-don't list. Here's one that's challenging for me. Do I live fully in the present? We know that we have a past, and we know that there's a future coming, but right now, this moment is called the present. I think it's interesting that it's called a present because I believe that it's a gift from God. But how many times are we in the present, but mentally we're not here? Let me give you an Illustration, yesterday, my wife and I took our two boys, four and one, to a park. We were playing together, and I thought, I am such a blessed man. Look at these boys, they're happy, they're healthy, God's been so good to me. And so I did what any loving father would do. I pulled out my iPhone, and I snapped a picture of each, and I went to Stitch and I put together a picture of the two in a frame together, and then I uploaded it to Instagram and linked it to my Twitter account. And the process apparently took longer than I realized it took because as my two boys were playing, my wife comes over with smoke coming out of her ears and she says, if you don't get off that phone, I'm going to throw it in the water. And I was like, what just happened? Like I thought that was like a couple of minutes. And I realized I'm at the park with my boys. I'm so blessed, but I'm not here. My mind is somewhere else. I was talking with Lindsay last night. We were at home and... I was just like, how many times are we just here, but we're somewhere else mentally? Like something from work's in the back of our mind, and and we're eating dinner, but we're not there with our family. How many times have you been to a restaurant, and you see a whole family looking at their phones the entire meal, they never talk to each other, because though they're somewhere physically, they're nowhere near that mentally. They're so far away on social media with friends outside of the present moment that they're not engaging in their current context. Normal people are not fully present. They're always in a moment, but their mind is either in a moment past or a moment in the future. They're thinking, what do I have to do next? Be honest, How many? you don't have to raise hands, but you've thought about, what are we going to do for lunch? Where are we going after this? Where have I got to take the kids? What are my responsibilities? I've got so-and-so to do. When's he going to stop talking so I can get out of here? And your mind is constantly thinking things that aren't engaging with the present. And the time that you have is being wasted with the people that you have it with. So Lindsay and I were discussing, we're contemplating, especially as our kids start getting older, starting a, a no-technology rule for a period of time in each of our days. We're being a little ambitious and saying from 6 to 9 because at this time, our kids would be in the bed by then. And just saying, hey, from the time we have dinner at 6 o'clock until the kids go to bed, what if we just say, we're going to stay off the phones. You know, We're not going to sit in front of a TV and stare at something just filling our mind with something when we can be spending time together with our kids. I'm the world's worst, let me just admit it. I am in moments, but I'm not in moments. I am constantly thinking about things that I have to do. I'm constantly distracted by ideas and circumstances and potentials that I am not fully present in my present. And by the grace of God, I'm going to try my best to start being fully present. Because normal people aren't, and I don't want to be normal. I'm going to rebel against the rules of time that this culture places on me. And I want to be fully present when I'm with someone in those moments. Do I have a wise time filter? Do I have a wise time filter? Normal people say, Can I do something? time rebels say, should I do something? Think about this. If I said to you, after this worship experience at the 10 after, which you're all invited to, and we hope you'll stick around and enjoy a refreshment and build a relationship. But if I say to you at the 10 after in just a few moments, hey, you want to go grab some lunch? You would have a decision to make. In a moment, chances are, if you're married, you would confer with the spouse and say, do we have anything planned? Nothing planned. Sure. And that's the end of the decision. But what if, just what if, you've spent hours as a couple diligently struggling through a budget? And financially, lunch today isn't included in that budget. And just because the pastor asks you to lunch doesn't mean you should say Yes doesn't matter if I'm offended that you don't go to lunch with me. If it's not the best thing for you to go to lunch financially, then you would say, man, thanks for offering, but maybe some other time. And in the moment, you're freed by saying, I made a wise decision. I didn't make a decision to use my time in a way that's going to cause me to regret it later. Or maybe you've had a busy weekend and you've said to your family, hey, we're going to go to the park. Today, when we leave church, we're going to spend some time together. And now the pastor asks you out to lunch, and you're like, screw my family, I'm going to lunch with the pastor because that sounds like it would be good. And now your family suffers because you've made a decision that wasn't wise and it wasn't pre planned and it wasn't thought through. Do you see how decisions that we make to use our time are more complicated than do I have an opening in my schedule? And what we do so many times is we say, well, I have something there, but it's not as important. It doesn't seem as good as that, and so I'll just scratch that, and we'll do this. And we don't honor our commitments a lot of times to people. Let me read you a passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In each moment of your life, there's a wise decision to be made. In each moment of your life, it matters how you decide to spend your time. And it's important for you to have a wise filter that doesn't say, can I do this? Sure. But it says, should I do this? And you think about it. And you ask yourself, would this be wise for me to spend my time this way? Would it be wise for me to to neglect some duties that I've been putting off for days now because things have kept coming up to go do something else that's going to distract me from something that needs to be done? Is it the wise thing to do? Normal people do not have a wise filter. And it doesn't matter how organized and planned you are, sometimes you plan things that are not wise. And we make decisions to use our time on things that don't bring the best scenarios and outcomes to the lives that we lead. That's normal. No wise filter. I encourage you to have a wise filter that says, not can I do this, but should I do this? And in light of everything that I'm facing right now, would this be the best use of my time? Here's a difficult one. Am I on number nine? Number nine? Eight. Do I live at a sustainable pace? Do I live at a sustainable pace? Translation, if I keep living every day of my life the way I live these days of my life, where is it going to lead me? There are seasons of our lives by necessity, are more busy than others, that we feel like we have to do certain things to fit certain things in. But the truth be told, if we don't live life at a sustainable pace, then we're going to end life fatigued, stressed, and weary. I'm not a huge fan of running, but there's many runners in the room, and you know if you run a race of substantial length that it's not wise to start the race in a sprint. Because if you start the race in a sprint, you're not going to last till the end of the race. And so you start the race with a mentality of, if you're running a marathon, I've got 20 plus miles to run. I should probably conserve some of my energy and run at a pace that's not as fast as I can run. But it's conservative knowing that I can sustain that pace over those 20 plus miles. What so many of us do is we have these bursts. These sprints in life where we just try to do more than we know we can do. And we get to the end of those sprints and we can't move anymore. We We can't run any further. Our life is maxed out. We can't fit anything else in it. And it leads to this place of fatigue, this place of breakdown, this place of exhaustion that we take out on the people that we love the most. And we find ourselves wishing we had run at a sustainable pace. It's not normal to work 40 hours anymore. People work 50, 60, 65, 70 hours a week, especially if you have your own business or especially if you're in a position that demands a lot of your time because you want to do better and you want to be promoted and you want to make the most of what you have and you want your businesses to succeed and you want to be looked at in a light that is pleasing to your boss. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. It would be better for you to work a job that paid less money that would allow you to end life well than to work a life that demands so much of your time that you're leading to a place, I don't care how much money you make, of exhaustion that's going to leave you depleted and you're not going to enjoy anything that you've worked for. It's easy to get caught up in the rigors of life and we live at such a sustainable pace that we can't go on. Normal people don't, do not live at a sustainable pace. But if we want to be different, if we want to live lives breaking the rules of normal, then we've got to determine what is sustainable for me. Let me give you an example here. I um, told you last week that that I have started working a part-time job, uh, that God had called uh, our family uh, to allow my wife to come home from work in this season to be a mom to our kids and in that process I took a part-time job and um, truth be told that part-time job uh, which is only about 20 hours a week has demanded some of my time 20 hours of every week plus or minus minus. Um, and it's distracted me in some ways from some things that are most important and here's an opportunity that I had just this week come available to me I had an opportunity for a promotion. The promotion would only require a few more hours, but it would increase my pay, and I would be able to potentially make more money and provide better for my family, and so my first instinct was to say yes, and so I went to the meeting, and I sat down uh, with uh, the human resources director, and I heard her out, and I knew what the process was, and I committed to it, and I came home, and I told my wife about it, and she about killed me, and I was like, "What? what's wrong? I don't understand. Like, this is going to be better for our family. Like, I'm going to be able to provide better. We're going to make a little more money, and we'll be able, you know, to be in a better place. And she says, you already are spending 20 hours of your week doing something that's not even what God's called you to do. And now you're going to add time to that. You're going to be so tired. You're going to be so fatigued that you're not going to be able to enjoy your family. You're going to be more distracted from doing things from the church, which God's really called you to do. And we talked for about 15 minutes, and it wasn't pretty. And I convinced her that this was the best thing for our family. She wasn't happy about it, but she agreed with the words, do what you want to do. It's famous last words. And so I went to work the next day, planning to take the next step toward this promotion. And God spoke to me through my wife like I haven't heard in a long time. And he said, she's right. And if you take this, it would be the most foolish thing you could do right now. And so I finished work, and I sent an email to that director. And I just said, I made a mistake. I'm sorry for wasting your time, but that's not going to be the best thing for me to do in this moment. And I got online, and I checked my pay period, and I had gotten a raise somehow. I know that that's a preacher story, and you think, oh, you're just making up something to make it you know, prove a point. There's lots of preacher stories out there, and I may share some from time to time, but this isn't one. I literally said, no one told me about a raise. And it's not substantial. I mean, it's not like I'm going to go out, you know, and sell the world because of this little raise, but it was just God speaking to me, saying, I've got you. Just trust me. Just do what is best for you and your family. Do what I've called you to do and live at a sustainable pace And make wise decisions, and I'm just gonna take care of you. And so I've committed that the job that I'm doing right now will be the most that I will ever do at that company. Make sure that you live at a sustainable pace. Follow up to that, question number nine Do I receive regular rest? Do I receive regular rest? You may not know this, but you are not God. And if you will remember the creation account in Genesis, for six days God worked, and on the seventh day God rested. What makes you think that if the creator of the universe needs to rest, that you can live life with no rest? What makes you think that you can accomplish more than King Jesus when we're commanded to rest. See, God modeled a life that included rest, but we live such normal lives that we feel like we have to do so many things that there's no time for rest. And when we rest, it's not true rest, and it's just small breaks. But we've got to learn to rest, to truly rest, to truly unplug, to truly get away to truly unwind, to relax, and allow all of the anxiety and pressures and stresses of this world to be put on the back burner so that we can receive true rest. You know, one of the Ten Commandments is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, which is a day of the week in which the Jews were instructed from sundown to the next sundown basically not to do anything but just to rest. And we don't live under that Jewish law completely, but there's a principle that you need to embrace if you're going to follow Christ. And that's that a Sabbath, a break, a rest, is not a good option. But it's a commandment. That God's instructions to you are to rest. That you should have regular rest built into your schedule. And again, I'll be the first to say I really struggle with this. Because for most people in America, Sundays can be days of rest. But not for me. Not for a lot of you who serve here. Not People who set this up and show up and serve and do things. It can be busy and it can be weary and it can be a lot of work and it can cause stress. And when this whole wall fell this morning, we had to pick it all up and reset it up. And there was lots of anxiety in the room, and the band was practicing, and it was just a lot of tension in the moment. I wasn't thinking about rest. Oh, what a relaxing day. I was thinking, how much time do we got till people start showing up? we got to get this back up. It doesn't have to be a particular day, but you have to have rest. You have to have periods where you unplug and unwind. And here's the promise for you if you'll rest, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We find rest in Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our places of greatest rest are at the feet of Jesus. And when we can come to him and just bring all of life's cares and all of life's worries and all of life's struggles and all of life's difficulties and all of life's offenses and transgressions and sins. We can just lay them at his feet and just say, can I just, can I just give you these for a moment? Will you just take these? And he gladly says, Yeah, I would love to. And I'll give you rest. I'll make life better for you if you'll come to me. Normal people don't think that way. Normal people think the more I do now, the more uh, I'll enjoy life later. I can sleep when I'm dead. You probably heard that. You can sleep when you're dead because you'll be dead sooner. But if you learn to rest, you'll enjoy life and it'll be peaceful. Last question. And let me just say before I even ask this question that um, I want what I say in the next few moments. Uh, You just need to know that I want to say a few things to you as a pastor who loves you, uh, but who is concerned about the nature of normalness in the church world. So please hear the next few moments from a loving heart and not a judging heart and not a condemning heart, but from a heart of concern that, that loves you enough to tell you. You love your kids enough to tell them certain things that are difficult. And I just want to tell you a few things that you may find difficult. You can get mad at me. It's okay. Do I reserve non-negotiable time with God? Do I reserve non-negotiable time with God? Do I reserve time with God that nothing hinders, that nothing competes with, that is set in stone, this is my time with God and no one's going to distract it? There was a movie called Chariots of Fire about a... It was a powerful movie about the legendary British athlete and Christian missionary Eric Liddell. When Liddell, Britain's Olympic star sprinter at the 1924 Olympics, found out that the first 100-meter race was on a Sunday, he decided immediately that he would not run the race. Sunday is God's day, and he was committed to honoring it. Just because he was in Paris to compete in the Olympics didn't justify changing his lifelong commitment Many in Liddell's country called him a traitor for his bold and unusual stand. Even the Prince of Wales begged him to change his mind. But this uncommon man made an uncommon stand, and in the next race, the 400 meters, not run on a Sunday, Liddell beat the runner-up by an amazing 15 meters, and he won Olympic gold and set a new world record. You say, that is the dumbest decision I could imagine an Olympic athlete making. But it was a decision of a man who had non-negotiable time with God. It was a man who had a conviction that there was time worth protecting for his father. It was a man who had conviction that time with God and the way he saw fit and the way he had committed his life was worth honoring. And here's my concern for The normalness that has crept into the church of today is that it is quite normal for us to allow our time with God on a daily basis and a church basis to become secondary to the busyness of life and the pace at which we're running rather than making sure our life is secondary. To our time with God. You've probably started out saying, I'm gonna start the new year, I'm gonna read my Bible more, I'm gonna pray more, and you're a couple of weeks into it, and you're just so busy that you just don't have the time to spend with God. You don't have a regular quiet time, you don't have a regular devotional time where you take a break from the world and spend some time with your Heavenly Father. And you've committed to and you've tried to, and you've found it so difficult. And the reason it's difficult for us is because we haven't set non-negotiable time. We haven't planned it in the calendar and said, I'm going to wake up 30 minutes earlier every day, and the first 30 minutes of my day are going to be time spent with God. Or I have a situation where my lunch break can be spent with God, and I'm going to honor that every day. I don't care who invites me out to eat. I don't care where they uh, offer to take me to eat. I'm going to spend that time with God every day. It's non-negotiable. Nothing will compete with it and I will honor it over anything else. Can you imagine the pressure that a man in the Olympic Games felt when he said, I'm not going to run a race because Sunday's God's day. It wasn't popular. It wasn't normal. And In our everyday lives, we have to build in that non-negotiable time because it's that non-negotiable time with God that will cause us to enjoy the time we have in every other area of our life. And let's talk for a few minutes about church on Sundays. I meet with a group of pastors. We just started meeting. Uh, The the first meeting that we had, I think there were uh, nine or ten pastors in the room. And uh, one of the things that we talked about in this meeting, where we just got together and said, What are you going through in life? How's ministry? How can I encourage you? What have you learned that I can learn from? What can I share that you can learn from? Uh, There was this common thread through every pastor there, not just a few, but every pastor there that said, I don't understand the people who aren't committed to church, but who call my church home. And as we talked about that further, there was some research, some statistics that came up and was shared. Research, like studied, like researchers polled people and officially came up with a declaration that that people who claim to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, people who said, like, I don't choose Christian over Islam or Christian over Buddhism, like, it's not a religion to me, but I call myself a fully devoted, committed follower of Jesus. Among that group of people, you know what the average attendance for that person was in church for a month? It was 1.8. So the most devoted Christians that we have in this culture go to church 1.8 times a month. I ran to a lady at Sam's a couple of weeks ago, and I just said, How are you? How's your family? You know, Are you still at the same church that you were at? And it goes, No, life kind of got busy, and... You know, my daughter's playing in this league now, and we travel a lot. And, and, you know, you don't have to go to church to have a relationship with God. I still do all the important stuff. You know, I still pray and I still read my Bible, but we don't really do the church thing anymore during this season. We might pick it back up later. And I just, my heart just broke because I, so we've missed it. We've become so normal that we don't understand the importance of at most 52 hours a year, plus a little bit. 70 minutes that we meet here at this church a week. And here's, and here's what we know. We know that people are busy. We know that life is hard. We know that there's so much out there for you to do that we even take off three Sundays this year. We're going to take off May the 25th, the Sunday before Memorial Day, because we have so many volunteers that give so much of their time that we just want to honor them with a the Sunday off. We're going to take off the Sunday before Labor Day in September, Because we just want people to spend time with their families. For us, in our present situation, church isn't just walk in the building and have church. There's a lot of people that do a lot of things that make it happen. And we know that people are busy, and so we just say, hey, here's the day off. Like, go do something with your family. The Sunday after Christmas every year, we take off because we know that people have plans over the holidays. And so we try to even honor, like, people are busy and there's a lot going on. And so we're not meeting 52 times this year. We're meeting 49 times this year. And I'm just, I'm concerned, and please, it's not judgmental, and it's not criticizing, and I'm not calling you out, and I'm not asking you to have a better attendance record. Please hear my heart. This isn't about, like, we need better numbers, and we wish if everybody would just show up on one Sunday, we would have, like, so many people. This isn't that conversation. This is a conversation that says there are more important things in people's lives than honoring time with God. And I'm just disturbed by it because it's so normal and it's so far from life-giving because church has become secondary to life rather than life becoming secondary to church. And I just want to challenge you. I just want to encourage you. And if I offend you enough to make you leave and go to another church, when you get to that church, would you please just say, I'm just going to commit to saying my Sunday morning from a certain time if it's here at synergy from 10:30 to 11:40 it's going to be spent at church. And we don't really stop there because we're far from normal here at synergy. We encourage people to serve and we encourage people to connect in a small group and we think that that should be like the bare minimum is that we commit 1 hour a week to the Lord through the local church. But how would our lives look different if every week we spent 1 hour singing some great music about the hope that we have in Christ, and we hear some words that just challenge us from the Bible. It's not about attendance. Look, I I love, I love to hear when families go on vacation, and I read them saying, hey, we went and visited a church while we are on vacation. God, you don't know what that does to me. Because people honor their time with God so much, that even when they're on vacation, they find a church to go to. Is that normal? No, it's not normal. It's not, it's not normal for me. Can I be honest with you? When we go on vacation, when I was growing up, my parents made us find a church and we went to church. Now that I'm a pastor and we go on vacation, the last place I want to go is a church. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being honest with you. And in studying this, I was just like, you know, I should be in church. If it's not. If it's not my church, I should be in church. So can I just love you enough to challenge you just to say, if, if you want to be a follower with Christ, it doesn't matter what the weather looks like and how much fun you could have. It doesn't matter what events or activities. Sometimes it's easy, it's important for us to learn to say no. And if an Olympic athlete could say no when his country was counting on him to run a race because he honored God so much with his time, how much can we say no to activities in our lives? And here's what I hear. Here's what I hear, and I'm just, this is the last I'll say about it because I don't want you to think I'm on a soapbox. People say to me, it's just a season, and we feel like we need to honor our commitment, that I teach my kids that when we commit to something, that we follow through with it, and so we're going to be part of those things. In other words, like if there's a game on a Sunday morning during church, like we feel like we need to be there until the season's over because that's what we're committed to. And what are they really saying? saying we're not really committed to church. That breaks my heart. That we would be more committed to a team than to a church. And listen, listen, listen. I'm not legalistic about this at all. I don't want to see your attendance record. And I don't want you to come to me and say, I've had perfect attendance for 10 years. Are you so proud of me? It's, it's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. Take vacations. We're about to get into the summer season. Take vacations. Spend time with your family. Make it quality time. Make it good time. You've got something that comes up. You travel to see family. It's okay. I'm not telling you that everything in life has to revolve around a particular set of 70 minutes in a given week. But what I'm asking you to do is to commit to honoring non-negotiable time with God in your regular schedule on a daily basis and on a weekly basis with your church. Again, it doesn't have to be here. You might be visiting and you might think, this guy has lost his marbles and there's no way that I'm going to be part of this church. And if that's you, I'm sorry, but I hope somehow when you find a church that you'll commit to it because you need it. It's important for you. It's important for your family. And it will do more for you if you'll honor that time than it will. Now you say, if I have a game on Sunday, like, are you going to be mad at me now? No. I'm not. But us group of pastors, here's what we decided. We decided that like these these tournaments, these travel ball tournaments and stuff, we're going to start praying that the people in our church that are playing on those tournaments are going to start losing so they don't play on Sundays. So that we're going to start. <laughs> so um, so that's that'll be my prayers for you. So if you, you play on travel ball teams and stuff, I'm going to start praying that you lose on Saturday so you don't get to play on Sundays. It's kind of a joke, but really serious. <laughs> I think it's more important. And... um. I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. When I was in high school, like I skipped basketball practice to go to church on Wednesday nights. It was that important to me. Uh, I skipped award ceremonies when I was named MVP because I wanted to go to church. It's been a conviction of mine my whole life and it's not because I want you to make my church bigger and be here and better. It's because I think church is that important. I really do. But not just church, but like every day, regular, non-negotiable time with God. Don't just say, I'm going to pray sometime, I'm going to read my Bible sometime. But find a specific time and just do it. Don't say, I don't have time, because you have time. You still love me? Awesome. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, you are so good to us, and I went longer than I should have in a sermon on time. Please forgive me for that. But I ask you, Lord that we would be rebels when it comes to our time, that we will not allow a culture to dictate how we spend our time and we won't feel pressured into spending our time on certain things. Would you give us just a strength and a boldness and a grace and a conviction and challenge our hearts today to be wise stewards of the time that you get us because we can't get it back once it's spent and we'll never get more than we're promised. Pray for every person here, Lord, that you would help us to be rebels, that we would drastically change some things in our lives if we find ourselves going down a path that's leading to exhaustion, that's leading to fatigue, that's leading to weariness, that's causing stress in our relationships, that's causing fights and quarreling, that's causing us to hate life and hate the things that we do because we're so busy. Help us, Lord, to choose the most important things and ultimately help us to honor you with our time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.